Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, property and investment podcast, sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability. Feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on LinkedIn, Anna-Claire Harper. Hi, and welcome to The Return, property and investment podcast. I'm Anna, and I'm delighted to talk about overseas investing in UK property in 2021 to 2024 today. This recording actually came from an event that I hosted earlier this year, so the format is a bit different to usual. If you'd like to watch the replay, including slides, then that's linked in the show notes. So now I'll hand over to me. Enjoy. So hello, everyone, and welcome to SBI Capital's second event. Today, I'm going to share four key trends in the UK residential market for the next three years, and also how these will affect what works and what doesn't for international investors. I'll also share some thoughts on how you can overcome the barriers to growing your portfolio in the early 2020s as an international investor. We'll have time for some question and answers. And if it's okay with you, I'll take a minute just towards the end to tell you a bit about what we do at SPI Capital. But before I go into the contents, for those of you who don't know me, I should introduce myself. I'm Anna. I'm the CEO of SPI Capital, which is an algorithm-driven property asset manager with a social conscience. So what we do is we create key worker-focused housing portfolios to enabling our high net worth clients, often international investors, to preserve and grow their wealth confidently and easily whilst having a positive social impact. And in terms of background, much of my career has been focused on enabling high net worths to easily diversify into residential property, typically focused on smaller buildings and portfolios in the private rental sector. So each opportunity worth below 5 million. And this is really SPI Capital's sweet spot. Before this, I developed the strategy and built the seed portfolio for a high net worth backed fund that was targeting a £100 million housing portfolio and was involved with about £2 billion of transactions as a strategy consultant at Deloitte. Before that, I got started in the sector studying real estate at Cambridge. And along the way, I started hosting a podcast uh, in the property investment sector and published a book called Strategic Property Investing. And that that came out last year um, and became a bestseller during the very first lockdown, which seems like years ago now. (laughs) And it was all about how private investors can navigate a current increasingly regulated market. And through my work and research, it became very clear that a lot of investors are struggling right now. So they're struggling to get the right strategy, to acquire high quality assets, to run their portfolios in a way that is profitable and compliant. So these are the kind of problems that we look to solve through SPI Capital. And they're also the kind of problems that prompted us to host this event to give you the kind of information that you need to help you to invest successfully over the next three years. And we've kept the event deliberately short because we know how busy you all are, but I'm very happy to stay on at the end or to book a follow-up call for those of you who'd like to hear more. The last thing I need to point out is that the ideas I share today are very much my own and they should not be taken as investment advice. So to set the context, my view is that for overseas investors, there has never been a better time to invest in UK residential property, provided it's done in the right ways. Many of the international investors that we work with tell us they want the same things. So their first priority is not to lose money. They really value security and stability. And they've struggled with the volatility and uncertainty of 2020 in their local markets and globally. 
The second priority is to grow their wealth over time. And often that is because they want to pass on a legacy to their children. Thirdly, they need the hassle taken away. So even for those investors who have spare time or they have market knowledge, they usually can't travel too easily to the properties because of geographical constraints. And generally, I would say UK residential property is seen as a bit of a, it's a good solution for international investors' problems because it's stable, it performs well over time, and it's relatively easy. But it's not as simple as this. And not all opportunities in the market are created equal. So many of the international investors that we are speaking to are now recognizing that the old ways that may have worked for them before or may have worked for their friends, they're not working so well anymore. If, like the investors that we often work with, what you want is to protect and to grow your wealth easily and confidently, then you really need to understand the key trends affecting how UK residential property performs for investors and also how these trends affect what works and what doesn't for you. So the first and probably the most important of the key trends that I'm going to share today is global uncertainty and change. We're in this undeniably uncertain environment. So far in the 2020s, we've had COVID-19, sweeping political, economic and social shifts, both within and between countries, from political unrest in Hong Kong to the impacts of Brexit within Europe. And it's not over yet. You may well have noticed that your investments have been affected by this uncertainty. For example, many international, typically more volatile property markets are really suffering. Property prices in Dubai fell by a reported 7.8% in 2020. They fell by 28% in Budapest, Hungary. In the stock market, we've also had a volatile year. For example, the FTSE 100, which is seen by many as one of the more stable stock market options, dropped by 35% in less than a month, followed by 35% growth in three months. So how does this affect what works and what doesn't for overseas investors in UK property? Well, firstly, UK residential property is often treated like a bond-like investment internationally because it's one of the safest, most attractive places to store wealth. Many of the investors that we speak to face big risks leaving their money in their home country because the government can simply swoop in and grab at their assets. By contrast, UK property offers strong, well-respected and enforced private property rights, legal frameworks and democratic government, and it has a robust economy proven over time. So ultimately, it's also important that the UK is open for business with no restriction on international investors who want to invest. So that makes it relatively easy to put money in, store it, and then take it out as required. So it's an attractive prospect for overseas investors who want to preserve and grow their wealth generally. But what about right now? Well, we're in this uncertain, fast-changing environment. And to be honest, no country has been immune from the changes that 2020 has imposed. In an increasingly globalized world, the impacts of change and uncertainty are ever greater if you're exposed. But the UK does remain relatively stable. For example, let's compare this to Asian markets such as Hong Kong or markets in the UAE, or even European economies such as Spain and Portugal. With so much uncertainty elsewhere in the world and in other asset types, the solid performance that UK residential property offers is increasingly attractive. But, and I sort of touched on this at the beginning, you really need to focus on the right asset types and geographies to make attractive profits. Um, so that leads me on to the next trend. 
which has growing values. Ultimately, we have constrained supply and growing demand for housing in the UK. And this affects house prices and rents, so investors' value and returns. Why? Well, supply is limited by our planning system, limited land availability, construction time lags and costs. Demand is growing due to rising living standards, a relatively robust economy, demographic and social changes, for example, people living longer um, and living alone for longer, millennials settling down later or not settling down at all. And as a result, values are expected to continue to grow over time in the way that they have done historically. So since Nationwide began to track house prices in uh, 1952, UK house prices have doubled on average every nine years. Unlike in many international markets, such as the UAE I mentioned earlier, this growth has been relatively consistent and stable. As for what happens next, well, Savills forecasts 20.4% UK house price growth over the period of 2020 to 2024. We expect house price growth through the next three years and indeed beyond that for the same reasons we've outlined constrained supply and growing demand, but it's likely to slow from its current pace, which reached a peak of 7.3% annual growth in December, according to Nationwide. This was, this was very much encouraged by the temporary stamp duty land tax reduction. So I think something that's really important to think about and that overseas investors often find quite difficult is the housing market in the UK. It's not one market. Some areas will grow by much more than others. And it can be really hard for overseas investors to know where in the UK is best to invest. The differences in performance between areas are based on fundamentals. So it's those forces which affect demand and supply. For example, Savills forecast that the Northwest will grow by 27.3% in the five years from 2020, compared with 12.7% for London. Ultimately, house price growth comes down to where do people want to live, where are their jobs, and what can they afford. So what does this mean for uh, overseas investors in UK property, and how does it affect what works and what doesn't? For most of the investors that we work with want to grow their so the current trends affecting property prices mean that residential property as a whole, it makes a lot of sense. But the types of deals and locations you might have been pitched as an overseas investor may not make sense anymore. So firstly, from a geographical perspective, it's not all about London, Manchester and Liverpool. Many overseas investors are familiar with these cities because they're well marketed internationally or because they know the football teams. But that's not really enough. Performance in the housing market doesn't reflect sporting success. It reflects the factors such as what's happening in the jobs market. So if you do want to make long-term returns in UK residential property as an international investor, then you need to look for areas that offer value. It's a bit like Warren Buffett's idea of value investing. So it makes sense to look at whether fundamentals are good, buy at the right price, and then just hold. So this means focusing on undersupplied markets with stable or growing demand. And the best investment areas in terms of returns are often not the sexiest areas or the areas that you would get pitched at a swanky hotel event in Singapore. In terms of strategy, we've spoken to and worked with many investors who've been, to be honest, burned by schemes offering glitzy, glamorous new build properties with so-called discounts or off-plan opportunities. 
And the truth is, these can be far more risky than the computer-generated images in the marketing brochures would suggest. So you might be told you can buy off plan and then flip the property when it's built because the market is growing. Ultimately, to benefit from house price growth, time in the market is better than trying to time the market like this. Don't over-rely on capital growth because it is beyond your control. And this is especially true now, since many potential buyers are priced out by affordability constraints or they're concerned by uncertainties in their employment position. But yet, house builders are continuing to build because they have to. The other thing to say about this is that you're taking on a lot of development risk when you buy anything that isn't already built. So you're at the whim of the construction company or the developer. And sadly, many overseas investors have been I suppose very financially burned, they've ended up losing millions of pounds to half-built schemes where the developer went bust. So avoid anything, whether it's an area or a building with unproven demand, for example, new developments or off-plan schemes. Often the prices are basically made up and then fake discounts are offered as part of a marketing strategy. It is much safer to invest in built assets which have no development risk and a track record of rental income and growth. And this is an area that we specialize in at SPI Capital. One final thing to say, when an area is described as a hotspot, it's often too late. So we've talked about values. What about rents? Rents are growing and demand is increasing for the same reasons that are driving house price growth. In addition to the reasons outlined, we have generation rents, affordability constraints, and their desire for flexibility, and also current uncertainties. So this reduces demand from potential homeowners. It's good news in a way for long-term residential investors because it means that demand for rental housing increases and therefore rents increase. In fact, providing rental housing that people can afford, it's, it's a bit like providing utility. It's counter-cyclical because we all need a roof over our heads, regardless of the jobs market. For example, rents in the UK continue to grow, albeit more slowly, through the global financial crisis, Brexit and COVID. So demand growth and limited supply means that rents are expected to increase over the next three years, and Savills suggest this will be 3% per year. As for value, the same trend will not apply consistently in all parts of the UK. Notably, in 2020, people cared a lot less about living in cities like London, so this two-track rental market emerged with non-London UK, UK rents increasing by 1.7% over the year versus a fall of 5.2% in London, according to Zupa. So what's the impact of all this for what works for overseas investors? Well, owning rental properties is increasingly attractive in the context of low yields or volatility elsewhere. But as I mentioned, it's not all about London, Manchester and Liverpool. One approach uh, in the rental market that's cheap, uh, that has received a lot of attention internationally is prime purpose-built student accommodation in the kind of cities that I've mentioned. But the trouble with this is that there's already excess supply of premium city centre rental housing like this. And yet many of the transient, very wealthy target tenants have left the city or even the country. And there's no certainty about when or whether tertiary education will return to normal. By contrast, housing distribution workers near Amazon's warehouses in, let's say, Warrington or Doncaster, there's a short supply relative to demand. 
If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. For example, let's say you're offered a guaranteed rent. You should be very wary of why that might be. Usually it's because you're being sold on overinflated returns that the market won't support. Market rents shouldn't need guarantees. It's safer to focus on, as I said before, built assets where ideally you have a proven track record of rent being paid. You can also reduce risk in this uncertain environment by focusing on relatively affordable mainstream rather than prime or premium parts of the market. So we tend to focus on properties which are let out already at rents that are below 35% of median incomes in the area. So this is considered locally affordable, which means that if your tenant moves on, you'll quickly and easily be able to replace them and you don't need to therefore guarantee rents. You can also focus on stable growth sectors to guide your location and asset decisions. So for example, demand is increasing due to biomedical in Oxford, technology in Cambridge, distribution in Northampton, and then around hospitals across the country, we've got demand from nurses or doctors, which is really strong relative to suitable, affordable supply. So a really important trend that is affecting investors both in the UK and also internationally is the trend towards a more professional rental sector. Due to more regulations, many sideline landlords are now struggling to operate in a way that is profitable and compliant. The growing regulatory burden and taxation changes that have come in steadily since 2015 in particular favour a more professional rental market and they encourage investors to see their portfolio as an investment business rather than a sideline hobby. This includes health and safety regulations, licensing, minimum EPC requirements, and then the infamous Section 24, which negatively affects income taxation for individuals owning leveraged properties. At the same time as this, Savills report a mountain of dry fund powder targeting the private rental sector or or PRS. So this sector is currently worth £1.5 trillion in the UK. And in basic terms, the private rental sector just covers any residential property owned by a landlord and rented to a tenant. That makes up over 20% of UK households. Historically, big institutional investors, so your global pension funds, have wanted the stability, the yield and the growth that residential property in the UK offers, but they've really struggled to access it. They were unable to scale down to access 95% of the available stock that is worth up to 5 million. And COVID has really catalyzed the shift from major global pension funds into the PRS because it's performed so well with an average 97% rent collection versus less than 50% in many parts of the commercial property market. At the moment, the main way that institutions invest in the private rental sector is through build-to-rent schemes. So these are typically larger developments in the private rental sector, which are designed and built to rent out rather than to sell. But this market is still relatively small. So all of the planned under construction and operational schemes so far are still below 3% of the private rental sector by volume. So in terms of trends over the coming years, we expect institutions to shift away from the focus on just prime city centre built-to-rent apartment schemes to houses and existing stock accessible to a wider range of tenants and a broader range of locations. So we think their investment, institutional investment will continue to grow in the coming years and buyers 
in, in the institutional market will be willing to pay a premium for scalable access to the benefits of residential real estate. A recent example of this was Goldman Sachs' acquisition of a build-to-rent portfolio, which cost $110 million to create and was sold for $150 million. So what does all this mean for overseas investors and what works and what doesn't for them? Well, firstly, with major powerful global pension funds allocating substantial capital to the private rental sector, if you're thinking about investing in residential property in the 2020s, get in sooner rather than later. If you're investing in direct real estate assets, don't try to compete with institutions because they have much deeper pockets than you do. Focus on demand and supply, find a niche and work within that. So I mentioned earlier, for us, it's key worker housing, 500k to 5 million in asset size. For others, it might be seaside bungalows. If you do want to grow your portfolio over the coming years, then you need to think strategically about the fundamentals of demand and supply I've mentioned, and also how you operate in a way that is profitable and compliant. So make sure you're clued up on and aligned with regulations and speak to your tax advisor before you make your next investment because the optimal structure for investments may have changed. Successful investors in the 2020s will be those who view their property as an investment business, not a sideline hobby. If you're a passive overseas investor and you want to own the bricks and mortar yourself so that you're in control, then more than ever, you need a trusted team on the ground to support you. For many investors, it's increasingly inefficient to own a small portfolio of less than five units. So if this applies to you, think about whether you want to rationalize and sell or whether you want to grow strategically. And then do that, as I mentioned, in the way that you would a business. If you don't care so much about owning the asset directly, then you can invest professionally and compliantly through indirect options such as real estate investment trusts or many private equity funds. So the first thing you need to think about is whether you want the control of owning property or you simply want access to real estate as an asset class. There's advantages and disadvantages to all of the available options. So we conducted a research piece into what the investors that we work with really care about and scored the key options against these priorities. If what you're looking for is to own and control real, real assets, then the best option is to own them directly. So you can do this independently, working with sources and managing agents on the ground from overseas, or you can work with an end-to-end -end business like SBI Capital. If you're looking to maximize your returns, then direct investments are generally better. By contrast, a listed real estate investment trust or through private equity, there's typically a higher cost base associated with acquiring and managing assets, which means that you get a lower return. In terms of preserving wealth, it's often best to own the assets directly. By comparison, listed real estate options are more volatile and private equity or crowdfunded deals are often riskier, which makes for less stable returns. For those of you who do want to have a social impact, it's best to do this through direct investment because real estate investment trusts, private equity funds and crowdfunded deals, they often don't focus on delivering an impact. If what you want is liquidity, then the best option is listed real estate, but you do sacrifice control and you have to invest your money alongside other investors, which many of the investors that we work with prefer to avoid. So I've told you about why UK residential property makes a lot of sense for overseas investors if you're looking to preserve wealth and how market trends and changes mean that you may need to reconsider locations, structures, asset types and strategies. 
I've also touched on why you need to think about your priorities. For example, whether you would prioritize liquidity or control. And I've shared how in a more professional rental market, you need to make sure that your properties that you invest in are both profitable and compliant. And I promise to cover a little bit about how to overcome the barriers of growing your portfolio in the early 2020s. I think the general point is that international investors need to think more carefully than ever about how they invest, including whether they invest directly or indirectly, as mentioned. And if what you want is investing directly, you need to be strategic about where you invest, what you invest in, and the team that you have on the ground to support you. So at this point, it makes sense for me to take a minute to share a little bit about SPI Capital. So the three K founders are myself, Ruth McCarthy, former head of real estate at a top 100 national law firm, and Damien Fock, who is a building surveyor, investor, and former financial advisor with over 2 billion residential transactions under his belt. And the business was created when the three of us were real estate professionals with over 50 years experience across property law, surveying, finance, investment strategy, recognized a gap in the market. We all worked with high net worth individuals and we realized that these clients were facing the same problems. They wanted to own tangible, stable bricks and mortar that would deliver attractive returns throughout market changes. But they didn't want to invest passively, buying low-performing REITs or property funds. They wanted ownership and control without the hard work of being hands-on landlord. The trouble was there was no suitable provider to solve this problem. So we set about designing a bespoke solution that focused on our high net worth clients and their specific goals so that they could invest confidently and easily without losing control. And we think there has never been a better time to invest in UK residential property, provided it's done in the right ways with risks minimized and returns maximized. It's no doubt clear from the presentation that the fundamentals of residential property remain strong, but it's just not as easy as it was before. And our mission is to transform how high net worth individuals invest in residential property. So we empower the investors that we work with to preserve and grow their wealth with confidence and ease whilst having a positive social impact. And if you're interested in working with us to create your portfolio, there's a couple of ways we can take this forward. If what you're looking for at this stage is information, the book I published last year covered a lot of the recent changes and their impacts in more detail. So if you'd like a copy of this, just drop us an email with the best address. If you want to stay up to date with what's happening in the market, my podcast is a good place to start. I have an episode with Ruth coming out tomorrow, so you should definitely try and catch that. And if you'd like to explore working together or find out more about what we do and see if it's a good fit, you can either email info at spi.capital or just wait for us to email you with a link to book confidential, no obligation conversation. If you'd just like to stay in touch and attend future events, you can also email us or wait for our follow-up email. Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as this really helps other people to find the podcast.